Um, so tonight is cool. We have finally finished the Timothys. The Timothys are gone. They're done. They're over. We feel like we've been in Timothy, one of the Timothys for like the last two years, it seems like. Um, but that's cool. So we're going to move on. We're starting a new series tonight. You can see on your sheet, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. You can get a head, head start and turn in there, chapter 1. Um, and so Ephesians uh, is a cool book. And this is going to take us, we're going to work our way through it pretty much from now until summer camp. Uh, so it's going to be a good time until the summer. And we've got a lot of cool things coming up then. But uh, we're going to be in Ephesians till then. And so just a uh, quick, super quick overview. I mean, Ephesians, uh, Paul, of course, wrote Ephesians. And when Paul, this is known as one of the, the prison epistles. When Paul was in prison, under house arrest in Rome uh, is when we believe he wrote this book to the church in Ephesus, uh, sent by a, a guy named Tychicus, which you can see in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Uh, and the cool thing about this, after coming, spending all this time with Timothy and First and Second Timothy over the last couple of su- summers, is that Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so we're kind of coming from the letters to the pastor to, to see the letters to his, his, the letter to his church. Um, and so I think that's cool. And uh, we're calling this series Finding Your Purpose uh, because Ephesians means fully purposed. And our purpose in this life is derived from being in Christ and in his body on this planet, which is the church, right? Uh, those are major themes of, of this book of, of Ephesians. And just as an overarching theme of the whole book, it's, it's that of unity. And whether it's exhibiting the perfect harmony between the Father and the Son, or the new union of both Jews and Gentiles, or the marriage bond, or the parent-child relationship, or the master-servant relationship, or the, um, the purpose of God in heaven or on earth. Man, the theme throughout all of those concepts that we find in this book is unity. And you could break the book down into two parts, simply. The first three chapters kind of are more doctrinal, talked about, talk about our position in Christ and before, before the Father. And the last three chapters are going to be more practical, talking about our practice, what we should do as a result. Um, and so um, a lot of what we're going to cover early on in this book then is going to be doctrinal. It's going to be a lot about what we should understand. And we'll certainly make practical application along the way, but uh, it'll get a lot more practical later on. Um, so don't hold your breath for that. But uh, we'll move fast. Actually, we're going to take some pretty big chunks of this as we go. We'll be in the first six verses tonight. But uh, this whole chapter of chapter one of Ephesians is only five verses which is crazy to me. So we're going to cover only two verses tonight, two verses next week. The following week is all literally one verse from verse, or one, I'm saying verses, sentence, one sentence, sorry. Verse 15 to 23 is one sentence, which is crazy to me to look at that. So we're going to be covering large chunks. We're going to try to keep sentences whole here. So two sentences tonight. Um, So we're going to move fast uh, throughout this. So we're we're going to have large sections. We're not going to be able to get into all of it, uh, but... We'll do, the, we'll do the best that we can here. So we're going to be in the first six verses, as I said. So go ahead and follow along with me if you're there. Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, 
according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so there's your two sentences. Uh, basically, the first sentence, the first couple of verses are introductory. Uh, pretty standard language for Paul that we see. Uh, grace, peace from God our Father, right? Um, so we're going to focus on the last four verses uh, as, as the second sentence of our passage. And it starts in verse 3. And, and that's really kind of gonna going to outline our direction for tonight from verse 3. And so we'll read that again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so let's pray before we dive into this and take a look at what some of those spiritual blessings are. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come before you tonight. Uh, We thank you so much uh, for all that you do for us and and all that you have done for us. Um, The fact that that you should think about us is incredible. Uh, Man, that when the universe fits in your hand and and you care about us, uh, we're blown away and Man, you, you care about us so deeply, and you've demonstrated that um, by the blessings that you've given us, and, and we're so grateful. Um, I just pray that as we open your word tonight, that, that you would be our teacher. Um, I pray that we would be sensitive to what your spirit wants to tell us tonight, um, and, and, and ready to be obedient, and, and ready to understand, open our understanding. And uh, We thank you for this time together. That's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, as we, as we go through these, these couple points tonight, allow the understanding of them to drive you to thankfulness and to bless God the Father, because we've been given some great things in him. And so we're going to talk about understanding the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. So your first point tonight is to understand that we've been picked for holiness and blamelessness. And we'll get this from verse 4, but to start from verse 3 again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, if you read this and you're like me, the first thing you notice is the, the picking and choosing that's going on uh, in this verse. And, and that might sound a little odd at first, um, especially if you're familiar with Calvinistic teachings or doctrine, if you've heard about that. Uh, but put that on hold for just a minute. We'll get to that. Uh, first, just, just notice simply what the result of this is, this picking and choosing. The result is that, that in him, in Christ, we should be holy and without blame before him, meaning God the Father, in love. And so in Christ, we actually get the status of holy and blamelessness before the Father. And that is a fantastic blessing, seriously. Paul says in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, he says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, hath, now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Christ was a sacrifice for us. And because of his death, man, we get to be the scapegoat. We get to be the bird that goes free. We've been redeemed. And we get to have this, this status of being holy and unblameable before the Father. And, and of course, what Christ did, those are the results. And those are, that's the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it 
says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's what we get through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. And so, first of all, if you're here tonight and, and you don't know what the gospel is, um, if you're unfamiliar with that, or maybe you've been here and you've heard it and you haven't submitted to it yet, man, God came to this planet in a human body. And he lived a perfect sinless life. And he died on a cross, a cross for, to pay your sin debt. You see, we're, we're all sinners. And that sin separates us from a holy God, which is why it's so significant that, that we can be holy and blameless before him. Because on our own, we're not. Absolutely not. We fall short. We fall short of perfection. And, and God, who is perfect, he can't be mixed with that. And so that separated us from him. And so when he came to this planet, man, he paid that sin death for us when he died on that cross. And he rose again victorious. Uh, and and he, he freely offers that to you. And if you just, if you just call out to him uh, to save you. And so, man, that's the gospel. And it's through that man, that, that we get salvation. And it's through that that we get to, to be able to claim this, this standing of blamelessness and holiness before the Father. And I want you to notice uh, in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, talking about the church. So notice this, this standing and this position of, of holy, holiness and blamelessness even to the church. It says that, that he, meaning Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. And that, that's, that's a, a cool connection uh, because we get this holiness and, and blamelessness and that's also uh, a significant description of the church. And so th- there's a connection there. Man, when you get saved, you're not out on your own. Man, you're in Christ. You're in his body, the church. And so the church also gets these same descriptors and this same standing before him. And so... Bookmark that in your mind, uh, the church, because we're going to come back to that, and it's going to play a big role um, here in a minute when we get to the Calvinistic stuff. But, but before that, l- let me ask you, man, this, this, this standing of holiness and blamelessness, you know, wh- what if we didn't get that in Christ? If that was the case, Christianity as we, as we know it is nothing. It totally changes everything. You know, we know that we can boldly approach his throne, Hebrews 4.16. That we can even, man, we can even come into the holiest place, Hebrews 10.19. But without this status, ain't none of that happening. Psalm 99.5 says, Exhort ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Listen, no, don't, don't worship in his presence. Don't come before him into the holiest place. No, worship at his foot, footstool. Because he's holy. Man, we would be separated from him still. And the earth is his footstool, Isaiah 66.1. Man, and we would be stuck here without him. Man, think about the Old Testament priests and the Levites. In Leviticus 16.2 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place, within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not... For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. In the Old Testament, no one could simply approach unto God the Father and live. You had to follow very strict rules for holiness that involved a whole bunch of holy things and details. 
holy things like anointing oil and holy garments and holy crowns and gifts and sacrifices and places and days and holy convocations. And every time you turn around, there's some holy thing you got to do to reconcile yourself to God. Man, but, but thank God that our positional standing before him and Christ is that of holiness and blamelessness. Can you imagine the life of the, Le- of the Levites? And their hands would have been stained with blood continually. I don't know about you, but man, if I was them, I would complain. And if we had to do that kind of stuff now, man, I would complain that I can't do anything for God because I'm too busy spending all my time trying just to do things to be right with him. Now we're so blessed to be in Christ. He's got us covered. So then what are you doing with that? As long as you're here and you are saved, how are you using your freedom in Christ? On a practical level, do you use your liberty to be carnal or to be holy? Does your life bless God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Like Paul said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, does your life proclaim that? In 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, it says, but as, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be holy for I am holy. We serve a holy God. And we, we have that standing before him because of Christ. But then because of that incredible promise and that incredible blessing, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, because of that, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you're glad that that God has picked you to be holy and blameless before him in Christ, you should live like it. So now back to the picking and choosing thing before the foundation of the world. So there are many false teachers out there today that that teach that, that God picked and chose who was to be saved and who was not from before the foundation of the world meaning like before anything was made and before any, anybody was born. And in short, you know, this teaching is called Calvinism, if you've heard of it. And Calvinists would take a look at our passage tonight and say that no individual has any choice in the matter of his own salvation, but that God made up his mind before he even created him and that God chose him for salvation or that God condemned him to hell without, without his, any personal choice in the matter. And that sounds horrible because it is horrible. And really, look, it's a deep hole. It's a, that's a, certainly an oversimplification. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that they get wrong in the Bible to come to those conclusions. But, but that's, that's the final conclusion, really, that, that it brings you to. And, and part of the, one of the, the problems that, of how they bridge this gap and get to that point is you know, they, they don't understand, well, of course, what we're, what we're talking about tonight, but they have this idea of a universal salvation throughout the Bible, meaning they think like Old Testament salvation and New Testament salvation are the same. And because of that, here's what they don't see from this passage. They don't see that being in Christ is a new and unique form of salvation that's only applicable, only applicable to the church age saints. And that is a critical understanding. Paul can say to the Ephesian saints, these are saved people, he can say to them that God hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Because Paul knows that from the beginning of the world, 
God always had a plan that some people within the entire scope of human history and human existence, some people would get the unique opportunity to be saved in a manner that, that we are saved in, which specifically is by being in Christ. And so this is simple. From the foundation of the world, God picked the saved people to be the people that are in Christ. And people are only in Christ in the church age. So obviously that doesn't mean no one else throughout all of human history got saved, right? That all of the Old Testament people, that they're all in hell right now. The, the people that you read about in this book. That obviously it doesn't mean that, right? God has always had different methods of salvation all throughout, all throughout human history. And in Christ is a specific one. I mean, think about like Noah's age. In Noah's age, how do you, you get saved? Well, you better be in that boat, man. <laughs> right? Noah preached that for 100 years. Or, or the Old Testament nation of Israel. If you've been following along with us in our reading plan, you just read through Numbers where you would have seen plenty of examples where God's people, his chosen people, his elect people, a lot of them were killed. because There was no salvation in there for them because they weren't obedient. They made choices. And, and God allowed them to make those choices. Just because God set up a plan doesn't mean he picks and chooses who responds to it. Even if he picks and chooses who's going to be born when, there's still a plan and you still have a choice of how you're going to respond to that plan. The Calvinistic logic can't be right. First of all, it is a slander of God's character. No loving parent holds his children responsible for things that they can't control. God is love and he's so much better a parent to us. Man, what a slander of his character to say that he punishes people for something that he has forced them to do. I mean, secondly, I, I can't think of a more valid excuse for a sinner to plea before God than to be able to accurately say, you made me do it. I had no choice in the matter. Listen, that stuff is trash. So what was determined from before the foundation of the world was the method of salvation, not the individual's. One method of salvation exists in the church age. And Paul, and God through Paul, is very clear where he also writes in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If God chose individually who would and who would not be in Christ before anyone was made, then Romans 16, 7 wouldn't make any sense. And Paul must have forgotten that he wrote it by the time we get to Ephesians. Look, he says in Romans 16, 7, it says, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. What do you mean before me? If, if, if everybody, if God decided who was in and who was out of Christ from the foundation of the world before anyone existed, there's no, there's no before. That wouldn't even make any sense, right? No, clearly these people got saved before Paul got saved. That's pretty simple in Romans 16, 7. And so the, the Calvinistic system it contradicts scripture all over the place. And so it's, it's pretty hard when you dive into it to really accurately understand what they mean a lot of times because they change the meaning of words. It's inconsistent, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so the thing that's cool is that Paul's explanation of this spiritual blessing is very consistent. And by the way, it's a spiritual blessing, not a spiritual cursing, but not from the Calvinistic view. So anyway, this spiritual blessing, it's very consistent. Look what Paul says to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. 
He says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath, notice, from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, God chose from the beginning that, that people, this method of salvation, that people would be saved through sanctification of the Spirit. For our purposes tonight, we'll call that saved by being in Christ, right? And by belief of the truth, there it is. You have a decision in the matter. And you know what that is? It's what you do with the gospel, like he says in verse 14. In Romans 16.25, Paul says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, notice that, which was kept secret since when, since when? Since, since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations. Why? For the obedience of faith. This plan that has been set since the beginning was a mystery, but people need to know about it, man, so they can make a decision to be obedient to it in faith, right? Just because the way of salvation is made available was determined from the beginning doesn't mean he forces it on anyone. And understanding that this plan is a mystery unlocks a whole new level connection for us in this book of Ephesians. Uh, The word mystery appears more in this book than in any of the other books, uh, like six times. And it's the primary place to go to understand what a mystery is, and certainly this mystery we're talking about right now. So in the spirit of introducing this book further, and in continuing this Calvinistic crushing thought, check out how Paul further reveals this mystery after first catching our attention with it in verse 4. In in next week's passage, he says in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1, he says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Right? There it is, in Christ. And we see this connection with the mystery. A little later in Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verses 3 and 6, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Paul's talking that that God, God revealed this mystery to him. He said, as I, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is, that, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Bam, there it is in full. So, the Gentiles get to be fellow heirs. The fact that that was a mystery from the beginning. Fellow heirs with Christ. They, they get to be of the same body. And we're in Ephesians. When we say that, you should think the church, man. But, but at the same time, you're in Christ. You're in his body. You're in him. And then we're partakers of his promise. Oh, by the gospel, by the way, that's how you get in. And so in Ephesians, further in chapter 5, I mean, we're in Ephesians... I say, you say Ephesians, and I think chapter 5 is a famous chapter to me about Christ and the church, right? Notice this here in Ephesians 5, 30 and 32. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. It has always been God's plan that there would be a group of people, predominantly Gentile people, that would be called the church, that are placed in Christ by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God the Father has a bride, the nation of Israel, but it has always been his plan to take a bride for his son, the church, and it's always been his plan that those two should be one. This blessed plan of our getting picked to be holy and blameless, to be his holy and blameless bride, was a mystery from the beginning. And in fact, about the mystery, there's seven mysteries, at least in Scripture, and the fact that we're dealing with one should immediately heighten your senses to to, to doctrine, because there's bad doctrine, there's good doctrine, and what you do with the mysteries is going to make a, uh, have a big indication of if you're going to have good or bad doctrine. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so the Calvinists definitely are bad stewards of this one. And although, although I've been railing on them, we got to make sure we're not committing the same errors. So I got to ask you, are you a good steward of the mysteries? We should be. Were you aware of this mystery before we started tonight? Man, if, if we're not good stewards of the mysteries, we're likely going to have bad doctrine somewhere. And we're going to be ashamed before him at his coming. So I pray that, that what I've been explaining, that you're able to clearly see that tonight. And, and clearly see that it's consistency in scripture. And, and there's a ton more verses we could have covered. Um, but I, I pray also that you saw that how none of this meant that God chose individual people to be saved or damned from before the foundation of the world. If that's what God meant, and if that's what Paul meant, they certainly had plenty of time and space with which to say it. In reality, really, the only thing we see in preaching is an inclusive message to all, where all have the ability to respond. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 2.11, he said, "For, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all Men, everybody gets a chance. So anybody alive today that wants to jump in on these spiritual blessings is able to if he or she freely responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand, man, that, that, that we ha- have an incredible blessing of having been picked and, and living in the age in which we do, that we are in Christ and that we have this standing of holiness and blamelessness before him. And we also need to understand then where this is going in, in our next verse, and that, that is that we have been predestinated to adoption. And so from verse 5, getting a running start from verse 3 again, since it's the beginning of the sentence, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us from all, with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having, here it is, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So at this point, all the heavy lifting has been done. We've covered the, the Calvinistic thought and all of that, put that to rest. Um, so we're just going to branch off from here. These next, next couple points will be simpler, um, and they'll be, they'll be a little more straightforward. So Part of God the Father's plan is that all those that are in Christ have a predetermined end. Once they get there, uh, their end is sure. 
They're predetermined to the adoption of children. Upon your salvation, the adoption documents were signed. Now we just await their fulfillment. So once you get saved, you have a sure end of adoption. It's an incredible blessing. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can be confident that once you get saved, God's going to continue working in you until the end. He's not going to give up on you. And this working has a purpose. It's to conform you to his image. He's the father, right? We're his children. As sons of God, you should be like him. That's the goal. And 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we should be like him inside and out. God wants you to, to be like him. And so, so positionally, he's made you holy and blameless before him at the moment of your salvation. But you should want to be like him practically on the outside right now also. You should be growing more and more like him during your time on this planet. As his child, he certainly desires that for you. And Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, there's that word, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So anyone that gets saved has a predetermined destination, and that is to look like his son. Man, so make that more and more true of you on a practical level every day. Because there's coming a day when it's going to be completely true. I mean inside and out. Not simply who you are in the inside. Not simply your spiritual life. But, but, but your very physical body is going to be changed. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, right? It's a spiritual kingdom. So something's got to change. You will be like Christ's resurrected spiritual body. Philippians 3.21 says, For who, speaking of Christ shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. This change, it's going to be like night and day. You have spiritual life now, yes. And it began at the moment of your salvation, absolutely. You were spiritually resurrected in that moment. However, though, your physical body, this body of sin that you still live in, it's still subject to death. Romans 6.23 still holds true for that. The wages of sin are death. And that's still going to be true for, you, for your physical body. For these, I think Jeff calls them meat suits. It's a wonderful, wonderful word. But that's all they are. It's going to change. And that change is going to be incredible. Your body will be resurrected in just as drastic a change as was your spirit. It will be a life and death difference. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of him which raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, meaning make alive, your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. And so, just as Christ could do miraculous things, his, upon his resurrection, man, he just interacted with the physical world differently. Right? I mean, we, we saw he fly away when he, when he ascended. Uh, he, he could do this instant transmission thing where, you know, he could just be here and then be over there. Uh, he, could, he could walk through walls or solid o- objects or whatever. Like, things are going to be different when we, when we get spiritual bodies. And, and just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's not literal. It, 
It's going to be literal. It's just going to be spiritual. First Corinthians, Paul writes about him in 1 Corinthians 15, and in verses 42 to 49, no, notice there's, a, there's like a before and there's an after. And the, the after is the resurrected. This is the spiritual body. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, meaning Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man's of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. That's us now. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. It's going to be incredible, guys. I know it's hard to imagine. It really is. But aside from even all the glorious and powerful elements that are associated with this change, man, consider that we won't ever have to experience corruption again. No more death, no more pain, no more sickness. I know, you know, in here, not, we're not very old. You know, we, we have our whole lives ahead of us, right? But, but that's going to change someday. Uh, these bodies are going to start to break down. Things, you wake up and they hurt. I- I'm 30, that already happens. But, like, it's just all downhill from here. I mean, for real. But, man, it's not going to always be like that. There's going to come a day when it'll be different. Have you ever been in pain or seen a loved one in pain and you're like, man, Lord, please take that away? Like, why is it like this? Well, listen, someday it's not going to be. We have that to look forward. Rest assured, you have the guarantee that he will make it right. He will change it. This life, I've said it before, this life is a temporary one. And you know what? This body is the temporary one too. Just have patience. In Romans 8, 18 through 23, Paul says, I reckon that the suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature is made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for, notice, the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. This adoption of children is literally about the redemption of our body to be conformed to the image of his son in a spiritual body. And these blessings are because God is good. He is gracious and his grace is glorious. And although he doesn't force anyone, it's his will that all get to experience this. And these things are necessary things. Because they position us the best for his praise. And that is your last point. We're positioned for praise. And so, from verse 4, man, this, this choosing us in him for blamelessness and holiness, 
And this predestination, verse 5, leads us to, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, whereunto he hath made us accepted in the beloved. God has blessed us so richly with all spiritual blessings in Christ, so we need to understand how much we've been positioned to be able to bring him glory. We're going to cover these verses next week, but, so we're not going to dig into them much, but just notice in verses 11, and four, 11 through 14 of chapter 1. Notice, it, starting at verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. In doing what he has done, God has positioned us to be able to bring him glory. So that is what we should do, right? Let's do it now. Notice the end of verse 6. It says, Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Hmm. Let me think. Who do you suppose is the beloved that we are in? Who is the beloved son? You guessed it. Jesus Christ. Right? Matthew 3.17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or later, 17.5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Do you think God the Father was pleased with his beloved son? No doubt about it. Since we're accepted in his beloved son, do you think we ought also to be well-pleasing to God the Father? You betcha. And everything from our simple obedience to God, displayed through Jesus' baptism, that was Matthew 3.17, man, to the allowing of his glory to shine through us to others, Matthew 17, 5, the transfiguration. It's all to please the Father. It's all to the praise of his glory. How surrendered are you to the Father? He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. What more does he need to show you for you to surrender to him? Do you honestly believe he won't take care of you? Do you think he's going to hold back? Man, we're holy and blamed before him in love. That was unheard of. You tell Old Testament saints that, and they're like, you're crazy. Man, we get that. He loves us, and he definitely knows how to bless us. So is there any area in your life that that you could be bringing him more praise than you currently are? Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you got to sign up for MTT or LFBI. Maybe, Maybe you need to get involved in discipleship or just be more involved around here. Uh, and, and with us at, at FBC. God has positioned you to the praise of his glory and he wants to use you. You just have to be surrendered to him. And, and we talked a lot about the mystery of the church and how God picked the church to be in him from the foundation of the world. And the point of that is to bring him glory. It's the same. What's the point of the church? Well, it's in Ephesians. Here we go, Ephesians 3.21. Unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The primary purpose of the church is to bring God glory. So, yeah, positionally, we're, we're in, in Christ. We're in him. We're in the church. Man, but 
But practically speaking, then, the, the more involved in church you are, the more you're going to be positioned to bring him glory through what's going on in the church. Let's bring him glory together. Romans 7, 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That's talking about the church. The church is married to Christ. And as Christ's bride married to him, we can produce fruit. So let's do that together. We need to be inviting our friends and to, to church and sharing the gospel with them so that they can get saved, so that they can get in on these blessings. The church is the primary vehicle in which God's operating right now. So your involvement and your fellowship in the church is going to be a major way that you glorify him. Think about the offering we just took last week at the REACH conference. $102,000. That is crazy. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm so excited to see what God's going to do in Hungary over the next couple of years if he tarries. And, you know, our church and in partnership with Wildwood, you know, we, I've been to Hungary through doing church kids' Bibles camps. I've been able to share the, the gospel with kids. Wildwood does the same thing. Man, one of my best friend li- friends lives in Hungary. All of this has happened. It's been made possible, man, through the church through this church even. That's awesome. And, and it goes on though. It's more than just physical. Check this out. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. It says, Unto me who am, the less, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Why? Notice to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The fellowship of the mystery of the church that God had in mind from the beginning can put God's wisdom on display to the spiritual world. How incredible that we don't even have our literal spiritual bodies yet. The adoption of, our, of sons hasn't happened yet. And yet from this physical realm, we are positioned for the praise of his glory. That is incredible. We can bring glory to God in ways that we can't even understand yet. And there will come a day when we do have our spiritual bodies and that we will get to praise him from that spiritual realm as well. So there's a whole spiritual aspect to this point that's yet future that we'll find out then. But we haven't even seen the half of it yet. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace he is saved through faith, that that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see these common themes throughout? Man, be, be, God has foreordained that, that we should walk in them because he's positioned us to be able to from the beginning. It was all part of his plan from the beginning that in him we would be positioned to, to walk in these good works. Man, so let's do that, y'all. Amen? 
First Peter 2, 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's have understanding of the spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places in Christ and take full advantage of the ability that he has given us to bring him glory, even now. Let's live lives that are holy and blameless so as to put on display the fact that God has made us positionally holy and blameless before him. Let's walk in the Spirit and and put God's grace on full display to all who dare behold it, that dare behold that physical creatures would have a spiritual impact because we have spiritual vision to see the future adoption that's coming. Man, let's glorify God together in this church and, and thank him for the blessings that he's given us and the salvation that he's offered in, in the time in which we live. Man, if you're here tonight and you don't have that salvation, please do not leave without talking to one of us or somebody about that. Man, you can get in, and it's awesome. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we love you so much. Uh, we're so thankful for, for the ways that, that you have blessed us. And I know we don't, under fully, we don't fully get it. We don't fully grasp it, but man, we're so grateful. I'm so thankful for the salvation that you've offered to us. And I pray that nobody would leave here tonight without responding to that. And I pray that we would all leave here tonight and share that with the world. Help us just, when times are hard, to to understand the spiritual blessings that we have in you and to take courage and know that that things are are only the way they are right now, that it's temporary. And these physical bodies, I mean, whatever happens, whatever goes wrong, that's all going to be made right in the future. And it's because we're in you. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for your grace and your mercy uh, and the incredible plan that you've had from the beginning of the world. And we know that that you were slain from the beginning of the world because when you decided to make the world, you knew you were going to have to die to save us. And we're so grateful for that. And that you would pick a bride for your son and that we would get to be it. Thanks for letting us live during this time period to be a part of that. Help us just to to be fully surrendered to you in this life now, tomorrow, throughout this week, till we come back, till you come back, so that we can bring you praise and glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.